sometimes you need to hit the pause button as a clinician um, and a researcher and say, hang on, this is what my underlying assumption is. We want to be evidence-based practitioners, but in fact, this is just how we should practice. Ethics is every part of every clinical decision that we make. And what it is that we do is we make lives better. Welcome to Speak Up, the Speech Pathology Australia podcast. This podcast series highlights conversations with esteemed contributors in the speech pathology space. We explore key issues in the profession in a short and easy to listen to format. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. Hello, I'm Tricia Chardon, Queensland Professional Education Coordinator. I had the pleasure of chatting with Dr Gail Hemsley, Senior Advisor with Queensland Department of Education, and Dr Alison Holm, Senior Lecturer at Griffith University. Gail and Alison will be co-presenting the Speech Pathology Australia 2020 National Tour, working effectively with Australian multilingual children. Gail and Alison, what got you interested in this area? And why are you so passionate about culturally and linguistically diverse children? I think the main thing is that they're they're really interesting. Um, They teach us a lot about how speech and language works and they um, really get us to think about what we already know about monolingual children and, you know, challenge us to think, well, really, the the language learning processes and and the speech processing sort of systems should be the same for all children. So what's what's happening that's different when there's more than one language being learned or one linguistic system that's sort of um, interacting with another one? And I think that's what makes, also what makes it so interesting is that um, every child is so different. So, and, and that keeps both of us on our toes. So there's no two children are the same. At the moment, I'm working um, with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children. And um, I've really learned that every child comes um, that I work with needs to be looked at through a different lens. So every school has a different context. Every family will um, have differences in the way that they learn language and the way that they approach language. And within each family, every child can be really different. So we really need to um, challenge, challenge our way of working and really not have a cookie cutter approach for these kids as we often do for monolingual children, but to really look at different language pairs, different amounts of exposure, and the different cultural values and expectations of um, the different um, people groups that we work with. And I guess something I say to students all the time is that we should be considering every child as as individual and unique. Mm. And so we talk about the ICF all the time and really that's how we should be approaching every child on our caseload. Mm -hmm. But I think um, when you're working with multilingual children, it it really reinforces those, those, particularly those environmental factors um, and, and the context Um, you can't ignore it because it's going to have an impact on everything that you do. It really makes you think outside the box. Yeah. So why is this area so important? Well, we we tend to sort of treat monolingualism as though that is the norm and and that um, actually anything outside of a monolingual context is is atypical but actually you know 25% of of children in our schools don't have English as their home language and so you know they they are part of our normal population. Mm. And I think when we're working um, in it with our university students and when we're having our training predominantly we do really start with those approaches those typical assessment and intervention processes that we use with monolingual student um, with monolingual children 
And I think as a profession, sometimes that's where we tend to um, focus our attention. And that can really make it difficult for us to then think about where to start with a child that comes to us from a background that we haven't worked from before or from a language group that we haven't worked with before. Mm. So I think we really need to change how we're thinking about multilingual children and, and not be seeing them as, as an atypical group, but actually they're, they're a group that we need to be you know, thinking about how we do doing things differently and, um, and but, but that it becomes as ingrained and as, as fundamental as, as any other practice that we're we exposed to. And I think that's really interesting because a lot of the time um, when I work with speech pathologists and they try different ways of working with bilingual children, um, at the end of that process they often say, I could use this with all my children. This is actually a really helpful process for me to really know what's going on with the child's speech or language. So it is um, a little bit of that um, idea of actually what is best practice, practice for monolingual, what is best practice for bilingual children or multilingual children can actually be again best practice for monolingual children as well mm. and I think it's um, I think there's been a really increased awareness around cultural responsiveness and and people you know acknowledge that they need to um, do cultural responsiveness training and be thinking about how to practice in a culturally responsive way that's right but there's also more than that it's actually how, how does your practice need to be different in terms of things like the assessments that you're doing and the intervention that you're doing mm. um, and and leading right through to policy sort of level changes of, of how school education systems, for example, are, are thinking about how they identify children and are they going to actually recognise non-standardised assessment processes um, and, and what that looks like. So mm. I think there's change happening, but um, it's, it's, still, it's still happening. Still a long so, way to, yeah. to go. The national tour will run over two days. Mm. Can you briefly outline what it will look like? So we're going to use, I guess, a, a case-based approach to a lot of the workshops. So we're going to be working through actual cases that we've worked through or that, or that people have brought to us with, with questions about in terms mm. of um, how do I address this, this difficulty that I've got with, with how to manage this child. And um, we're really going to focus on those real questions that real speeches have around what to do um, that is still valid and appropriate, um, that's gonna give you the information that you need, that's gonna work. We're gonna try and address those things. So bring in the theory that, that underpins that decision-making and those the, the clinical reasoning that's involved, but use it through, um, but apply it to these cases that we're gonna present. Mm. So we'll um, have a range of cases, some students with speech um, difficulties, some students with language difference, some with language disorder. Um, and we also want to throw in some more complex cases, the ones that really make us think about what we're doing and why we're doing it. So not just your first and second generation immigrants, um, but we'll have um, at least one refugee case, um, some children who speak um, an Aboriginal English or a heritage language at home. Um, um, and we'll also, um, yeah, again, go back to the theory to see um, how that influences our clinical practice, what the evidence tells us about where to start with those children and how to think about those children to come to a differential diagnosis. What are some of the key issues you'll address? Well, I think one of the most basic things that we need to try and do is describe what typical 
um, speech and language characteristics might be for mm. multilingual children, and that's obviously going to differ compared, you know, depending on the language combinations and things like that. But but really, try and draw out that it's important to be thinking about the fact that typical language development is different to monolingual development of of each language. So how do we work out what that is and and what those differences might be? Mm. And because. Um, bilingual and multilingual children are so different in the way that they develop their speech and language, we will be spending some um, considerable time looking at assessment techniques that we can use to assist with differentiating speech and language difference from disorder um, and really getting into a clinical framework to support that process of um, differential diagnosis. Um, So um, how many assessments do I need to do? How much and what sort of background information do I need to get from families? Um, And how how do I make that decision around um, in a valid and reliable way around whether a child has a language difference or disorder? Yeah, and we're going to try and be really practical about how we do that too because yeah. we know that it, it's difficult if you don't have um, resources and, and tools at hand. Interpreters at your fingertips. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so in addition to that assessment sort of process, we're also going to um, talk about how you choose and prioritise speech and language intervention targets or goals um, and, and the evidence behind um, what we do know about what works in terms of intervention for, for multilingual children. Um, you know, there isn't a huge amount of evidence at this point in time, but um, we will you know, be, be tying it into some of those cases that we've, um, we're going to present. Mm. Um, and I guess we'll also again be, because we are both from a clinical background, we really will be um, keeping it real and looking at practical strategies and ways to support um, children and students in the classroom or in their preschool setting as well as in the home. Um, and again, how to work effectively with interpreters because sometimes that is um, just something that you absolutely can't get out of. Um, and then again, going back to those complex cases, looking at those risk factors around trauma, social disadvantage, cognitive impairment or hearing impairment and how that might influence the way that you um, work with families um, complete your assessments and and move forward with your intervention. I think that's it. Well, there's an exciting and timely National Tour event coming up. Don't forget to check the SPA website and read your monthly PD e-news to find out when the National Tour will be occurring in your state and when registration opens online. Thank you, Gail. Thank you, Alison. Thanks, Trish. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.